0: PENPOD, Internal Medicine Podcasts from the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Hey everyone, my name is Nick McAndrew. I'm a senior resident going into oncology, and today we're going to talk about cord compression in the oncology patient. First, we'll talk about the disease presentation, initial management, and prognosis. Then we'll talk more specifically about the logistics of completing the workup, specifically at HUP. Spinal cord compression is an oncologic emergency, something your senior resident or oncology fellow should definitely know about STAT. Cord compression has two general categories of manifestation pain and neurologic abnormalities. The pain is typically progressive over many weeks and usually shows up before any neurologic findings. Local pain is a result of tumor infiltration of the pain-sensitive periosteum, while radicular pain may also result if compression or infiltration of a spinal nerve root occurs. The pain is often worse with lying down and is tender on percussion of the vertebral body. Neurologic findings can manifest as sensory, motor, or bowel-slash-bladder abnormalities. It is very important to remember that the biggest predictor of neurologic outcome is the patient's degree of neurologic dysfunction at the time of diagnosis and treatment. Therefore, when you suspect cord compression, you should be frequently monitoring the patient's neuro exam because a rapidly progressive malignancy may evolve right in front of your eyes as new neurologic insults. Most typically, motor dysfunction will occur with weakness and spasticity, so when taking a history, it is important to ask questions about difficulty climbing stairs, feelings that their legs are quote-unquote heavy, or trouble getting up from a chair or a seated position. If the high cervical cord is involved, the patient could also exhibit quadriparesis and or respiratory failure. Bladder dysfunction may be difficult to elicit on history. While many patients will overlook bladder dysfunction, almost 50% of patients at the time of diagnosis are incontinent or require bladder catheterization. Not surprisingly, cord compression tends to happen most commonly in diseases that are metastatic to bone, with the three most common being lung cancer, breast cancer, and multiple myeloma. That being said, incidence rates of cord compression are highest in multiple myeloma, lymphoma, and prostate cancer. In terms of where along the spine cord compression happens the most often, 60% are in the thoracic spine, 30% are in the lumbar spine, while 10% are in the cervical spine. Now, let's focus on treatment. Initial therapy begins with an IV corticosteroid bolus of 10 mg of dexamethasone, with standing doses thereafter, up to 10 mg every 6 hours, but most commonly 4 mg every 6 hours of dexamethasone. Since oral bioavailability is excellent The follow-up doses may be given orally if this is an option. Steroids will reduce vasogenic edema and decrease further damage to the spinal cord from reduced perfusion. In addition to steroids, patients will require either radiation therapy or surgical decompression. About two-thirds of patients will be treated with radiotherapy while about 20% require surgery. The remaining quarter of patients go on to comfort measures only if the disease is too widespread and quality of life is poor. In terms of how sensitive a cancer is to radiation, breast cancer and lymphoma are typically more radiosensitive, while non-small cell lung cancer, melanoma, and renal cell carcinoma are less radiosensitive. Prognosis after cord compression is variable and depends on other clinical factors, such as the type and extent of underlying disease. Patients will typically die in a month if left untreated, while overall survival ranges from 3 to 16 months with treatment. Patients with a solid malignancy on average die earlier than patients with more therapy-sensitive tumors like myeloma or lymphoma. Again, the biggest predictor of good neurologic outcome is the extent of neurological damage at the time of diagnosis and treatment, which is again why frequent neurochecks are key in early diagnosis and thus early treatment. If the clinical suspicion is very high, your fellow or attending may want to empirically treat with steroids while imaging is pending to slow down any potential damage to the cord early. Okay, now let's talk about what to do once you suspect cord compression. Once you suspect compression, call your senior resident immediately and obtain a STAT MRI of the cervical, thoracic, and lumbar spine, as cord compression from metastatic disease can present in any of these areas, with thoracic and lumbar spine being the most common sites. Getting a STAT MRI at HUP is difficult, so you're going to really have to stay on top of MRI scheduling and radiology. First, call MRI and explain the emergency to the scheduler, their number is 215-349-5596. They will most likely tell you that the schedule is pretty packed. It will help to talk to the neuroradiology resident to try to expedite things, and their number is 215-662-3480. During one of these two conversations, They might try to convince you to only do a lumbar MRI, as it's a much shorter exam. Don't back down. Really try to get the whole spine. After talking to them, check in with the patient's nurse as well as in sunrise about 15 to 20 minutes later, and check to see if the exam has been scheduled. If nothing's happened yet, call MRI back and see what the status is. In situations like this, the squeaky wheel gets the grease and it's up to you to be an advocate for your patient to get them the appropriate workup. While waiting for the MRI, don't forget to go back and re-examine your patient for new neurologic deficits. If they're developing new symptoms before your eyes, it's only more evidence that MRI needs to get the patient in STAT and talk to your resident or fellow about starting empiric steroids. Okay, now let's say you've got the MRI and the patient has cord compression. Your next step, aside from notifying your resident and fellow, is to call both neurosurgery and radiation oncology immediately. They will look at the scans themselves and determine who will be most helpful. The next thing you will likely do is give a stat dose of IV steroids, again, most likely 10 milligrams of dexamethasone. There's a lot that goes into this initial workup, but use your senior resident as a resource to help things happen and potentially catch it early.